Uh, welcome, y'all. Welcome to those on the internet. I, I told Gentile in the hospital I'd say hi to you because she's watching it. Uh, glad that you're here. If you're visiting with us today, we're glad that you're here as well. All the other folks that are watching on the internet, we are glad you're there. We look forward to seeing you in the sanctuary as soon as possible. And uh, for those of you that are visiting here today and have maybe we have a gift for you, actually a couple of gifts for you. One of those is a devotional that I, I've written, and these are absolutely free for visitors, and they're on this side table over here. Love for you to take, uh, love for you to take those as our gift to you. And um, there's a coffee mug there as well, which is probably more important to you than my book. So uh, uh, feel free uh, uh, on those, okay? Hey, we're in the uh, middle of a sermon series. We're three or four weeks in, and we're trying to define what love is. That's a really important thing because um, uh, I love, the uh, Bible calls me to love my wife, but the Bible calls me to love my enemies. And uh, the Bible uses the same word there. It's, it's the Greek word agape. So that's really weird, man. I mean, I'm supposed to do the same thing to my wife that I am to my enemies, uh, I'm supposed to love one another as I'm supposed to love my wife. We use the word a lot of different ways in our society. I love uh, banana pudding, but I love my boys. Okay, I mean, it's just that word is weird for us. But in the Bible, it's the word agape used most of the time. That word agape has nothing to do with feelings. So when it says love my wife, I'm sorry to tell you, ladies, it's got nothing to do with feelings. It's got nothing to do with the pitter-patter of the heart. It's got nothing to do with warm fuzzies. It's got nothing to do with emotion. I'm so glad for the emotion that I have and the feelings that I have for my wife. But when the Bible tells me to love her, it has nothing to do with how I feel toward her. And as a culture, that's the way we define love, always. Uh, and, and we think it has to do with feelings. So that's why people come into my office and say, I no longer love him. Well, no, that's not what the Bible understands nothing about that statement. If you're no longer loving him, the Bible, Bible would interpret that as you no longer are performing and doing loving actions toward him because the Bible says that love is patient, that love is kind. You got that? That love does not envy. It's not anything to do with feelings. I can be patient with an enemy. I can be patient with an enemy. By an act of the will. That's what agape means. It's an act of the will. It's intentionality. It has nothing to do with feelings. I may have some feelings toward an enemy, but it's not those loving feelings. But the Bible tells me to love my enemies and love my wife. It's the same word. And what they mean, be patient, be kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, it always hopes, it always trusts, it always perseveres. And love never fails, but our feelings fail us. They come and they go. It's like an ocean that will knock you down with a wave, but then the ocean goes out. And there are times you feel overwhelmed with feelings toward your spouse. You may have feelings toward one another, but sometimes you don't. And you don't stop loving when you don't have those feelings because love is an action. Love is an action. Biblically, let me say it again. I'm so thankful for the feelings I have for my wife. I'm so thankful for those. But the Bible, when it tells me how to love my wife, it has nothing to do with feelings. 
It has nothing to do with feelings. It was um, Friday night, 8.30. I was working on the computer, sitting at the kitchen table working on the computer. Sue was preparing banana pudding for banana pudding night that we had at our house last night with some, fa- with some couples over. And, and she ran out of, of, of vanilla wafers. She only needed like six left to finish her last little pan of banana pudding. And uh, I was working on the sermon, and, and, and my mind said, well, that's, boy, wow, that's real bad. Sue's going to have to go out and get more vanilla wafers. <laughs> but then just God says, just show love to her, Mark. And I got up, and I went and got. Now that's, that, but that's, see, that's love. That's not feelings. I didn't, you know what? I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to go to grocery land. I didn't want to do it. But if I love her, it, that spawns action in our lives. Uh, we start today with uh, 1 Corinthians 13.5. We've said love is patient. That was one sermon. Love is kind. That was another sermon. Love is, uh, does not envy. That was a sermon. We started with love uh, has nothing to do with feelings. And today, let's go with love is not boastful. That's where we are next in our definition of that. Uh, The actual Greek word means to exaggerate or display yourself, to draw attention to yourself. Even the secular world of the NFL gives you a 15-yard penalty if you draw too much attention to yourself, right? Even the secular world understands that catching a pass, and like I was watching some game the other day, and the guy caught a pass, and he just spun the football right in front of the defender and 15 yards because we know that's not the way you should act one to another. The Bible says that love is not boastful. I was raised in Maysville, Kentucky, and that's a little two-bit town up on the high river, and there's only about 8,000 people in the town, and for some reason I have no idea. We had a zoo in that little town, and we didn't have much in that zoo. We had a llama that would spit all over you if you got too close. But we also had a peacock, and we loved to go see the peacock because the peacock, when, it has, when it's trying to attract a mate, they will display themselves. And don't you know that we like to fluff our feathers too? The Bible says, as you treat one another, fluffing your feathers is not a loving thing to do. It's not a loving thing to do. Boasting and loving are not at all in the same category. You know there can be a religious boasting? We can get, we can get very boastful about us Nazarenes at times. Can't we, Harold? We, we, we're, we, we, we understand Scripture exactly right, right? Uh, I'm so thankful for the Church of Nazarene. She has, she has given me a place to minister for 26 years. I am so grateful and thankful for her. But I don't think she's any better than the Baptist Church. I don't think she's any better than the Methodist Church. I don't think she's any better than the Presbyterian Church. I, I, I just don't. I mean, I don't think that we've got a corner on the truth. I mean, we interpret a few passages different than our Baptist friends do. We interpret a few passages different than our Presbyterian friends do. But... Uh, there's, we have no corner on God, but there can be a religious boasting. 
I'm so glad for the Baptist church that I was saved in on August 29, 1993. I'm so glad for the Methodist church that where my dad and mom were saved and discipled. I'm so glad for the Free Methodist Church where my wife was saved and discipled in. I'm so glad for the Presbyterian Church was the home of Tim Keller, who's one of my mentors in ministry. I'm thankful for the Church of the Nazarene. We don't have a corner on anything. And to think that we do is boastful, prideful, just plain silly. It's the body of Christ. It's the body. The body of Christ. We can, um, there's, there's lots of evidence of religious boasting in the Bible. And Jesus didn't hesitate talking about that. In Luke chapter 18, he talked about a tax collector and a Pharisee that came to the temple. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. Or even like this poor tax, tax collector right here. And the tax collector had not even come to the altar. He stayed way in the back because he, he was, thought himself so unworthy to come in. He stayed way in the back. And the Pharisee went on and said, I, I fast twice a week and got, I give a tenth of all that I get. There's religious boasting in the Bible. The Bible always puts that down, makes fun of that. says that's not the way you're to act. It says to stop it. It does not bring pleasure to Christ. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 says there, there were some who, who wanted to practice their righteousness in front of other people. And here's the key word, to be seen by them. You can't help but do religious stuff in front of other people. Everybody up there today that's, that's ministering in the children's department is doing that in front of other people. When we go pack Hands against hunger, and there'll be 200 people that are be packing food to send all over the world to needy kids. We can't help but do that in front of, the, of other people. But the issue is why you do it, to be seen by them. It's the issue of the heart, as it always is. Be careful not to do that, Jesus said. Verse 16 of Matthew chapter 6, he says, When you fast, don't tell people you're fasting. Don't put it on Facebook. Well, I never thought this fasting stuff would be this hard, man. Don't put it on Facebook. Don't, don't look somber. Put your makeup on. Ladies, put those false eyelashes on that everybody knows they're false. You know, just go ahead and put them on. You don't have to look, you don't have to look somber and disfigured. The hypocrites do that. The hypocrites do that. They've received their reward. What's he talking about reward? Talking about heaven or hell? No, it has nothing to do with heaven or hell. The Bible says there are rewards for the Christian on the type of Christian life they've lived. And if you do it to be seen by others, you have your reward here on earth. And you won't have it from God. You used to go in all churches, man, on their pianos. They would say, this is the Susie Smith piano, you know? Susie donated that money. I'm glad we've kind of gone through that now. There can be religious boasting. Bible, in more places than I've quoted, can tell you that. Scripture does everything that it can do to keep us humble. Scripture does. 
Scripture says that, that, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Because it says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's level ground, friends. I don't care what your background is. I don't care how much money your parents made. I don't care how much money that you make. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It makes no difference. Romans 3.10 says, There are none that are righteous, no, not one. Ground is level at the foot of the cross. Paul wrote in Ephesians, he says, it's, it's by grace you have been saved, through faith, it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, so no one will boast. Because we'd boast about it as human beings. If I did more works, if it took works to get into heaven, I'd boast that I'm going to have a high, bigger mansion than you have. We'd boast about that. That's, that's in our nature to do that. And the way we're supposed to treat one another in a loving way, in the agape way, it has nothing to do with boasting. Now let me clarify. Us guys, we love to boast to one another, right? Now that's stupid guy stuff. I do that. I did that last night at my house. I said, you all go down there and play ping pong, and whichever one's best, you tell me, then I'll come beat that person. Okay, that, that's, that's what guys do. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. That's just bravado that guys talk about all the time. You know what I'm talking about with pride. A, a dependence on God should eliminate boasting. The Bible says we're not to lean on our own understanding. Deanie Thornton is in the hospital, and they have a neighbor friend that does a lot for them and he sent a text to my wife and says why would God allow this to happen to Deanie you know she, eight months ago they survived a horrible car accident and now going to allow her to die from ovarian cancer if unless God intervenes she'll be transported to hospice very soon 30 days to live why would God allow this to happen well I have no clue and I would be most arrogant to try to answer that question the only thing I can say is she's 93. God gave them 65 years together. Praise the Lord. Dependence on God eliminates boasting. People congratulate you for something and you can accept that. You can allow that to give you the big hit, or you can be able to realize that God's given you the ability to do that. People come up to me and compliment me on a sermon or something like that, and, and God has given, if I have any kind of gifts or talents for preaching, God has given me these. He's, he, he called me out of a sinful life and graced me and allowed me to do something that no one ever thought I could do. This is not Mark. Come on. James chapter 4 talks about dependence on God eliminates boasting. It says, now you listen, you who say tomorrow we're going to go here and we're going to go to that city. We're going to spend a year there. We're going to carry on business and we're going to make money. Well, you don't even know, James says, what tomorrow, what will happen tomorrow. Hey, you boastful people, you have no clue if you'll be alive tomorrow. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. 
You have no clue. So what is your life? It's but a mist that happens for a little, appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, James says, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this and that. And he finishes with saying, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is evil. Um, dependence on God and for your very breath and for, for what I'm going to do tomorrow and, and, and dependence on Him, knowing that He's sovereign and I'm not. Now listen, there are extremes to everything. Don't boast, but you don't have to walk around all slump-shouldered and think that you're nothing but a sinner saved by the grace of God. Of course you're a sinner saved by the grace of God, but he says marvelous things about you. The Father loved you so much that he gave his son to die for you. That's how much he thinks of you. Some of you remember the old song that we used to sing, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Did he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Now, we, we get all, we get all um, sophisticated, and so we, in the new hymnals, we come along and say, well, that, well, well that, that writer of that song was pretty provincial, and, 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 and we're, we know more than that today. Let's scratch worm out and put sinner. Well, I don't know about you. I can be pretty wormy sometimes. And you can too. But I don't have to see myself as a worm because the Bible doesn't. The Bible doesn't. The Bible says to love your neighbor as you love yourself. To love your neighbor as you love yourself. The Bible says all of us who are Christians here today... And if you're a Christian, that means you've repented of your sin. You turn your back on that and you believe the gospel. It says in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, that God has seated you in heavenly places. Whatever in the world that means, but it sounds pretty good to me. God has seated you in heavenly places. There's no worm theology around here. Yeah, I can be pretty wormy sometimes, but God died for my worminess. And I don't have to walk over and, well, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just a sinner. That's all I am. No, you are a Holy Spirit, grace-empowered sinner that God will allow you to bring glory and honor to him. David wrote in Psalm 139 that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The truth is never on the extremes in any walk of life. The truth is never on the extremes in any walk of life, and it would be the same thing theologically as well. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, love does not boast. It does not draw attention to itself. It does not put itself on display. It does not fluff its own feathers. Right next to that, love does not boast. It says love is not proud. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Literally, the Greek word means to inflate. Inflate. Love does not puff up. We used to say, you got the big head. Love 
Love is not proud. Pride is mentioned 70 some odd times in Scripture, never once in a positive way. Now, there's a balance there too, okay? I combed my hair this morning. I didn't let, allow you to see me with bedhead. That's not what the Bible's talking about. I made sure my zipper was zipped this morning, okay? There, there's, a, there's a balance there. It's not on the extremes. Truth is not on the extremes. But love is not proud. The Bible talks about this over and over again. Proverbs 11:2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Pride kept me from Jesus for 34 years. Pride kept me from walking with Jesus for 34 years. Pride brings a person low, Proverbs 29, 23 says, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before fall. My haughty spirit produced the big fall in my life when I was 34 years of age that finally got me to look up and grab for Jesus. God loved me so much he allowed my pride to do in me what pride does. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Jesus is our example here, of course. Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings, the second person of the Trinity. Paul writes in Proverbs chapter, excuse me, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, talking about Jesus. He said, he was in the very nature of God, but did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So he made himself nothing in the translation that I memorized. He did not think it was something to be used to, to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The one that could have been as, had a reason to be prideful, that had a reason to boast, made himself nothing. A few things I've written here. Love listens. Pride talks. That convicts me. Love forgives. Pride will hold grudges. I'm just amazed at the people that hold on to un unforgiveness for years and years. Can I, can I say something? And I'm going to say it very crudely because it's just the way it is. How stupid is that? Why would you do that to yourself? Eat yourself up with unforgiveness. The most healthiest thing that you can do for yourself is to let it go. What keeps you from letting it go? Pride. How dare they do that to me? How dare they do that to me? Well, who are you such a great person that they shouldn't do that to? That's a haughty spirit. That's a haughty spirit. Love gives, but pride takes. Love accepts responsibility, but pride blames. Pride points fingers. Pride blames. Love seeks to understand, but pride assumes love ask but pride tells <laughs> let's just call it what it is friends pride is sin it's just sin it's just sin 
1 John chapter 2, verse 16, John writes to us and says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. Comes not from the Father. So when you and me feel that pride raising up in it, us, feel that we're taking offense because how dare they say that to me because I must be such a great person. We, we, we get offended very easily in our culture today. All that comes not from the Father. That comes not from the Father. It comes from the system of the world, which the devil is the prince of. Pride closes the door to Jesus. Humility will open it. Pride closes the door to Jesus. That's why it's, 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 why it's a marvelous discipline to come and bend your knee at the altar. That's why it's a marvelous discipline to be able to come and get down into a humble stance. So it's a, it's a marvelous thing to do. It's a marvelous discipline of the Christian life. Because it's very difficult to do this unless you're doing it to be seen by others. And that's, what, that's, how, that's how weird pride can work in us. I may even do a Christian thing to let everybody else know how Christian I am. It's all a matter of the heart. Pride closes the door to Jesus. But humility will open it. You have to be humble to come to Christ. What did the tax collector say? It says in Luke 18, the tax collector stood at a distance and he said, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. Pride doesn't say that. Pride doesn't say that. See, pride keeps Jesus at a distance, closes the door to Jesus. But humility will open it. Prodigal son came to his senses in Luke chapter 15. Prodigal son came to his senses and says, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That sounds like something, somebody that is just really, really close to accepting Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life. They're not far from the kingdom. Humility opens the door to Jesus. Pride keeps it shut, closed. And Proverbs chapter 6 says there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. And the first one mentioned is haughty eyes. Haughty eyes. Pride makes you feel superior. Pride makes you feel superior to people. You know when you feel superior, and, and there's, there's times that we all feel that way, and, 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 and God convicts us of that, and, and, and our response is, God, don't let me feel that way. Burn, purge that out of my system. But there are times that we may look at someone and feel superior to them. It's time we may see somebody out there flying a sign, and we may feel superior to them, and the only, the only, the only proper response to that is except by the grace of God there go I. Except by the grace of God, there go I. 
Levi and I went to deliver something to a Kenzie person's house and it was a wreck and mess just a mess we walked out and I said Levi did you see that mess he goes yeah well I said well when you when you get on your own why will you not why will you not live that way Levi and he started giving me several reasons and they were all kind of right but they weren't the real reason the real reason is because he wasn't raised that way and see you got a whole lot of people that weren't raised that way and they don't know any better there but by the grace of God go I you had a mom and dad that loved you and taught you right from wrong there's a whole lot of people that have not that have not there but, but by the grace of God go I guy that comes to Kinsey on Thursday nights his name is Jason and Jason's a good guy but he's not all there and Jason's got a beard that's all unruly and long and just hair is really long I said Jason let's go get a haircut man I'll pay for it okay so we went down here to Sid's on 2nd Street and walked in sit down and the Holy Spirit checked me and says, now, Mark, why are you doing this? Are you doing this because you feel superior to this guy in any such a way that you need to control his life in any such a way? I hope that's not the reason. I was hope I was trying to love, put love to action in his life. I just knew that getting that beard trimmed up and getting that haircut would make him feel better. But there's a fine line on why you do things on why you do things you could say that that I just told you that I did that so I guess I've got my reward now <laughs> humility opens a door to Jesus humility opens a door to Jesus Isaiah 57 Bible says for this is what the high and exalted one says he who lives forever whose name is holy I live in high holy place but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit I live with those people which means he doesn't live with the people who are not contrite and lowly in spirit and the reason he does that is in Isaiah 57, the finishing that verse, he says, I do that so I will revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. James just says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. <laughs> I like what Dwight L. Moody said, one of the great evangelists of yesteryear. He says, God sends no one away except the one that's full of himself. It's good, isn't it, Harold? Now, let me tell you the actual truth of that. God doesn't send anybody away, but the person that's full of himself won't come. He just won't come. Just won't come. He's full of himself. He's full of herself. He just won't come. Pride blocks the door to Jesus. And humility opens it. There's not a one of us that at times don't feel pride rearing its ugly head in our life. And when it does that, the Christian says, Lord, 
that's not the way I want to feel. Purge that from me. Don't allow me to feel that way again. The non-Christian doesn't even, is not even aware of that feeling. And the non-Christian is, thinks that's the way you're supposed to feel. Every Sunday we come to the altar and the bread and the cup are memory or remind us that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Jeff Bezos has got to come to that altar just like you do. I don't care how many billions Jeff Bezos has. The lowliest of people are on par with the richest of those when you come to the cross of Jesus Christ. Love is not boastful. Love is not proud. You're going to spend these next few minutes as you choose to do that. But let's continue now in a, in a spirit of worship for these next few minutes.